Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad that you're here today. God is good, amen? Amen. Amen. God is real good to us. You know, um, first Sunday after the new year, I mean, here we are. We're um, worshiping the Lord. What a blessing that is. And and this morning, we're going to be starting a new sermon series. But uh, I want to talk just a moment, if I might, about uh, our giving as worship, okay? And um, call this the pre-sermon, okay? The pre-sermon. Um, but, but our giving as worship, you know, what do you, what do you love more? Opening a present for yourself or watching someone you love open a gift from you? See, as parents, we, we look forward to watching our children's faces as they open a present. Just the joy, the wonder of it. We love our children and, and we want them to experience the excitement of that and the wonder that comes with opening a much-anticipated gift. Those are moments we cherish and we remember them for years to come. That's what came to mind as I was considering what Paul meant when he wrote uh, that God loves a cheerful giver. And we give to bless others and out of obedience to God you know it says in 2 Corinthians 9 7 each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver so we give out of love for God and a desire to see his word go out and his kingdom expanded you know we can also pray and ask God to help us to give with cheerful hearts and um, one of the things that, that I, we're going to look at um, coming up is, is uh, we're going to start today but we're going to actually pass the offering plate later in the service back and forth and so I want to give you an opportunity to prepare for that um, but I, I want you to know that we're viewing our giving as an act of worship sometimes when we give online or we give automatically where it's just like a, you know, it automatically comes out of our account. We, we miss out on giving as an act of worship. It, it kind of comes around as, uh, you know, every, every couple of weeks, every month as, as something that's deducted from our bank account. But we really don't see it as an act of worship. And so we're trying to, to raise that awareness as an act of worship um, moving on, I would also encourage you, we've got some community groups that we're going to be starting in February, and if you're looking for community and you want to be a part of those, um, I hope that you will sign up uh, for one of those community groups. And you know, this year, 2024, we want to highlight and we also want to look uh, for ways we can celebrate the goodness of God. I mean, God is good to us. He blesses us in, in a myriad of ways. And we just need to give him the glory for that. Um, this morning, as we begin our new sermon series on the life of David, um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. And if you have your scripture and, and <clears throat> excuse me, want to open up to 1 Samuel 13, um, we're going to be talking about uh, David and uh, he was a man who was after 
God's own heart. And uh, we're going to focus some on that this morning, being a person after God's own heart. And so if you have your scripture and have it opened up or uh, scrolled up or wherever you need to be, uh, 1 Samuel 13, I'm going to read two verses here, but then I've got uh, several verses as we talk about his life that I'm going to be focusing in on. But um, 1 Samuel 13 Verse 13 says, Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you, Holy Spirit, for um, writing it down for us. And I thank you, Father, for how it challenges us but also how it nourishes us. And so, Father, this morning as we, as we come to you, as we uh, think about your word and, and what you have for us, I pray, Father, that you would show us uh, what you desire each of us to do and to be. And, Father, that you would guide us in that, that you would uh, fill us and use us for your kingdom glory. Father, I'm thankful for all that you do. I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus. I'm thankful for his sacrifice on the cross so that we could be made right with you. And so, Father, I ask that this morning you would move us where we are to where you want us to be. And, God, that we would do that for your glory. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, right out of the chute here, I just want to say there's a a principle here that is worth remembering. And if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. God chooses the weak God chooses the weak and, and, and I think that's that's big I think that's huge because when we think about it sometimes the people that we would choose are not the people that God would choose and the people that God would choose are not the people that we would choose but if you remember Paul over in 1 Corinthians He says this, he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and despised, uh, excuse me, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. The principle is is that God chooses the weak. He chooses the weak to do his his will. And and you know, when I say that, I, I think that is amazing because God chooses to use people. 
God chooses to, to use them for his kingdom glory. And, and, and God is sovereign, and understand this, that God is sovereign. He is the one who spoke this world into being. He doesn't need our help. But he chooses to use human beings to carry forth the kingdom of God. And I think that is big because he chooses to use people. And, and he, he doesn't have to use us. He chooses to use us. And I think that's big because he usually uses ordinary people. <laughs> he usually uses ordinary people. And I'm so thankful for that because that means that God can use me and that he can use you too. It means we've got a shot. But it also means that we can't boast before the Lord. We can't say, well, look what I've done or look at me. No one can boast before God. I mean, God could use the mighty. He could use them, but, but they frequently have their own agenda. They know what they want. They're not in submission to him. But understand this, God's choice of a person is contrary to human reason. It boggles our mind. And, and we don't understand why God would use this person and, and, and why he won't use this person. But we understand that, you know, in, in our lives, looks matter to us. First Samuel 16, I want to share this verse with you. Verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance. Or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, looks matter to us. This, I, I laughed out loud when I read this, but um, years ago, years ago, there was a playwright named Gore Vidal, and he had a play. And, and the name of his play was The Best Man. And um, it was about a um, uh, presidential candidate um, in, in a, uh, uh, a race. And um, Ronald Reagan was proposed for the lead role in that play to be this distinguished-looking, you know, front-running presidential candidate. But understand, he was rejected for that role because he didn't look presidential enough. Can you imagine? But we're so concerned about our looks that we will do just about anything to change them. I mean, a few years ago, Time, it's been several years, Time Magazine devoted an entire issue, and, and okay, I don't, hope you don't groan. Um, they they, they um, voted, devoted an entire issue to the state of California. And um, hang on, hang on. There are some good things that came out of California. But since Californians have been notorious trendsetters, time wanted to find out what was hot in California and what was not. And one of the hot things they listed is an obsession with the body. I mean, silicone implants are very popular, not for women, for men. And, and you know, it's interesting because if you don't like the body you gave, that God gave you, you and you're too lazy to exercise, um, you can have surgeons slip silicone packs 
behind your pectorals to make them stick out or, or in, in your, you know, your backside or even your calves. They can make those bulge out. And it's just weird. But you think about it, looks do matter and they matter a lot to people. They matter a lot to people. But our outward appearance or looks does not matter much to God. See, God looks deeper. He looks deeper. He looks at the motivations of our heart. He's interested in our heart. He's interested in why we do what we do. And this principle is brought out in the accounts of Israel's first kings, um, Saul and King David. Now understand that the people's choice, the people's choice was Saul. They wanted Saul to be their king. And, and Paul in Acts chapter 13 gives us a, a great account of this. As, as he rises to speak up and, and on one of his missionary journeys, he says this. It says, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, you and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. That's an interesting phrase there. He put up with them in the wilderness. Verse 19 says, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he removed him, he raised up David to be their king concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. He gives this brief history about what God has done for the, the people of Israel. And, and you know, I, I love that because uh, these were turbulent times in Israel. Yes, you had the wilderness wanderings, you had the, the conquest where they went in and they, they took over the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, the promised land. And then, then at the end of the book of Judges, you know, God had raised up these judges to, um, and, and they were uh, locally in the, among the people so they could r render decisions about what was going on. And so they, they, they have these turbulent times, though. At the end of the book of Judges, verse 25 of chapter 21, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't have a leader they had these people, they had judges, but they didn't have leadership. These were turbulent times. There was no national political leadership in Israel at this time. There was local leadership and it was provided by these judges, 
but they were often very limited in what they could do. But you also have in Israel at this time, you have military pressure coming from outside. And, and, and it, it, was, it was increasing and the Philistines were raiding the Israelites. They were plundering, they were stealing their crops. They would steal the seed for their crops, their equipment, killing their people, threatening their livelihood. Understand, when we hear things today that Israel is being attacked by Gaza the five Philistine cities are located in the Gaza Strip you have Gaza Ashdod Ashkelon Ekron and Gath and so all of this controversy has been going on for a very 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 long time and so here you also have moral and religious decline. The entire country seemed to be drifting around in a, a malaise, a, a spiritual sickness. <laughs> kind of identifies where we might be today. Now, after Eli died, his immoral sons took over. And as with any parent, one of my big concerns about my own children is that they would follow the Lord, that they would follow God. And here you have someone who was in that position of being a high priest, someone who was very influential among the people of Israel. And when he died, his sons, who were immoral, took over. Now I want to show you what the people uh, wanted in, in, in 1 Samuel 18. Excuse me, verse chapter 8. It says this, it says, And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah, and they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Okay, they wanted a king like all the nations around them had. They wanted someone to rule over them. They wanted someone, a leader they could follow. And, and, and they wanted it and they demand from Samuel that he appoint a king. He was old. His sons were corrupt. And they wanted to be like the other nations around them. See, as people, we naturally seek out and we want strong leaders for us to follow. And as people, as a people group in a society, we seek out strong leaders. And even Christians, sometimes we seek superheroes and leaders and pastors. And we want people that we can look up to. We want people that we can emulate, that we can be like. And we want them to help provide us with wisdom. And we want leaders in our nation and in our churches and in our homes that love us, that, that provide for us, that protect us, that provide godly wisdom and guidance, that point us to Jesus. 
and help us to flourish in a sin-tainted world. That's what we desire. Someone to lead us that we can follow. So Samuel, he says, do you really know what you're getting into? Do you really know what you're even asking for? Because this is what's going to happen. And this is what he says in, in, in verse 10 and following. <coughs> Excuse me. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and and of fifties and and, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and, and your olive groves and, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and your your vineyards and and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men, your donkeys, and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and, and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And we will also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and and fight our battles. Hmm. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them In the Lord's hearing, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint for them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Brothers and sisters, what is happening here is God wanted to be their king. And God is the one who is being rejected. They're saying, we don't want to follow you, we want to follow him. See, Samuel warns them that they're going to lose their freedom. That all of a sudden, the the king is going to own everything that they have. They don't care. It's a completely negative portrayal of politics. But God himself foresaw the need for a king and even approved of it. But God also knew that freedom, their loss of freedom would result And so Saul was chosen to be the king of Israel. We read about that in in, uh, just a few verses down. In chapter 9, verse 2, it says, He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. 
So you have this tall, handsome guy that they choose to be their king. He was physically attractive. And folks, this was the people's choice. This was the one they wanted. Did you know that the People's Choice Awards don't go to the best actors? <laughs> it goes to the ones who are most popular. You know, the good-looking people. The people who, you know, are, are beautiful. The people, and, and it, it's all of that. But did you know that winning presidents tend to be taller than their opponents? That's because people look at the outward appearance. Later on, King Saul went downhill. His politics became paranoid. Everyone became his enemy. And Saul had these religious, I want to call them bipolar swings from, from cruel oppression to a hypocritical embrace of paganism. You remember the witch at Endor. There was an emotional disintegration that was taking place within Saul. And ultimately, it led to self-destruction. But remember, Saul was the people's choice. But I want to look at God's choice. King David. I mean, God wanted someone after his own heart. If you're going to put someone in charge of something that you have created, you want to put someone in charge of that that has a similar heart to the creator, to the one who created that will keep it going in that direction. See, our simple and our ordinary gifts are good enough for God. I got a little trivia question for you here. Does anyone know what the mascot of Whittier College, their football team is? They are the poets. The Whittier College poets. Can you imagine a worse mascot for a football team? Go poets! Kill, kill, kill really doesn't bring about bloodlust, does it? Second trivia question. Who was the poet's most famous player? Hmm, I can't think of one. No. Richard Nixon. Here's my point. This is exactly what God did with David. God took a poet and made him the king of Israel. He took a poet and made him the king of Israel. If you want to kill a lot of people, get a poet. Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. See, there's qualities that, that God seeks, and, I, and, and we see this in David's life. And, and I, I want to talk about this for just a moment. Spirituality. David was a spiritual being. He knew God. He knew God intimately. 
He was a man after God's own heart. According to God. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. What matters is what God says about you. He was a man after God's own heart. He was, he was spiritual, but he also had a humility about him. You know, if we read over in Psalm 78, chapter 78, verse 70, it says, He, God, chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. He was spiritual. He had spirituality, he, was, he, was, he, was, he had humility, but he also had integrity. Verse 72 of that same chapter says, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and he guided them with his skillful hands. What you have there is you have character and you have competence. Character and competence. You know, character, what you are when no one else is looking. I'm sure he didn't have to worry much about anybody looking when he's out there with the sheep. But his, his heart was laid bare before God. And God knew him and he knew God. You know, this morning as I, as I wrap this up, I want you to notice how God trained David for this role. The first thing I look at is solitude. Solitude. Being alone. Well, he was surrounded by, you know, smelly sheep. Days and weeks on end, wandering the hillsides with no one to talk to but those sheep. Rural, rustic, and in the I want to say quiet, slow lane. He was trained in solitude. And you know, it, it's lonely at the top. You better know why you're there. And I see this with David. In solitude, he was willing to walk with God. Most of us are not willing to do that. We need to have our people around us. We need to have all of our support. But God was David's support. He was in solitude, but he was also in obscurity. Think about this. Nobody noticed what he did. He was taking care of his father's sheep, and whether he excelled or whether he face-planted, who would know? You're out in the middle of nowhere. He was neither appreciated nor thanked for what he was doing. Truly, not even seen or heard. We talk about it sometimes, you know, well, this person may just need to be heard. Or maybe they just need to be seen by someone. He had an audience of one. He was serving in solitude and obscurity. He was trained through this, but there was also the monotony. <laughs> day after day, same stuff, different day. Sometimes just the daily chores seem to be monotonous. You know it and I know it. 
dishes, diapers, laundry, sleep, and do it all over again. Only take the sleep out. But it's through that repetition that we learn the spiritual disciplines. It's through that repetition that we learn to keep walking, which leads to godly habits, which propels us down the road of righteousness. It may not seem to be flashy or even fun, but it's God's training. It's his proving ground. And so you have this solitude, you have this obscurity, you have this monotony. And you know what? I'm sure David didn't complain about it. God had him and was teaching him what he wanted him to learn. Oh, we get bored so easy. I can't even imagine the long hours of watching these these sheep and and making sure they had what they needed and and not being able to talk to someone, not being able to bounce ideas off, not being able to, to even have someone laugh and smile with you. But it's like, my goodness, solitude, obscurity, monotony, but also reality. These are the things he used to train David. I mean, David faced some real threats out there in the hillside as he shepherded the sheep, but also as he shepherded Israel. Think about exhaustion. Exposure to the elements, dangerous terrain, even death by wild animals. I mean, you think about lions and bears and snakes and other things. This is what it says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. This was when Goliath was threatening Israel. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he arose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. See, most, most of our life can be lived out in solitude, in obscurity, and monotony. The threats that come in may amount to Less than 1% of our total life. But it sure can define who we are. We call those defining moments in our life. When something is threatening and we rise to the threat. Defining moments. See, I want to leave you with two truths that are worth accepting. The first one is this. It is in the little things that we prove ourselves capable of the big things. It's in the little things. Do not despise small beginnings. It's in the little things that we prove ourselves capable of big things. See, everyday obstacles prepare us for the main task of life. 
Obedience in the little things prepare us for bigger things. Jesus said if you are faithful in the small things, that that he will give us responsibility for big things. And as I share this last point, I just want to invite our, our worship team to come back up. You know, when God develops our inner qualities, he's never, ever in a hurry. When God develops our inner qualities, he is never in a hurry. See, God cares more about your character than he does about your happiness. This is so important because he is preparing us and fitting us for heaven. So if you are are in obscurity, if you are in solitude, if you are in monotonous tasks day in and day out, do not despise those. God is going to use them in your life for something that you may not even see yet. He's preparing us and fitting us for heaven. And we need to understand this is why Jesus came to earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. See, in this new year, 2024, to be a person after God's own heart, we have to have a relationship with God. We can't be a person after God's own heart if we don't have a relationship with him. And in order to have a relationship with God, you must accept and receive his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and your Savior. See, my prayer is that each one of us would be a person after God's own heart. It may take some solitude. It may take some obscurity, it may take some monotony, and it may take some reality. But I know we are more than capable, and God will use us if we will make ourselves available for him. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for the life of David, and Father, how you used him, and how you...